Welcome to Automation Advocates, a show where we will talk about automation, manufacturing, and meet some of the personalities that are involved in the industry and get their perspectives. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy creating. Thanks, and here's the show. Welcome back today with me, the one and only Tyler again. How's it going? It's going. Uh, by the way, I did tell Charlie you owe him a rap, and he was like, uh, or that he owes you a rap. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, <laughs> whatever, dude, get in the game. Have a little fun. Have a little fun. Well, we'll deal with that the, the first time we meet on a, the same podcast. So Yeah, and, and at some point, so here I, I'm in the basement, so I've got my, my mixer off to my left here, microphone, and then in front of me is my spider of cables going out to another table with three microphones on it. So we're ready. Like, I'll stand up and look down upon you as if I'm an all-being kind of a power, but uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Um, so we're, uh, we're going to seize the moment and talk about safety once again, and I'm sure there's plenty of you sitting at home going, F this guy. We don't want to hear about safety again. But uh, we had an event last week here in North America. Offshore, if you will. Uh, the crew aboard a little submarine went down a little too deep. And it seems like that submarine went squoosh. And the calculations that people are running on it say that probably happened in about like 28 milliseconds. Nuts. What's the scan time on a PLC these days, Tyler? <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not a lot faster than that. <laughs> so I, I guess the, the reason I, I want to bring this up and, and again I'm I'm not here to rehash the news. Sounds like there were some design flaws, maybe some some corners changed, some some things that shouldn't have been done. Back to your and my background of things that when they go wrong, they go really wrong. I thought it would be interesting, right? And and I, I say that with with a little bit of a cowboy attitude over the course of my career too, right? Like there are things that probably should have cost me a digit or two. Like I've been I've been fortunate. I've made some poor decisions. Um but none of them at the scale where it would have affected anybody more than me, right? Um, I think about, and you're a tinker, right, at home, so I'm sure you've wired up outlets and done other home improvements. For sure, yep. What are the odds those are all up to building code? I mean, the goal is that they all are, but <laughs> there's probably something I missed. For sure, right? I mean, it happens. We're... We didn't read all the books. I, I can tell you I added these lights and outlets down here. They're running off the same breaker that was running down here before. So I'm bound by the laws of 30 amps out at the out in the garage. Um, I don't know if I broke any code rules by doing that or not. But yeah, so I'm, you know, I I'm an engineer at heart. So I literally go read all the books pull the permits, have it inspected. Like, so I'm, I'm probably on the far end of the spectrum for doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, to the point that when the electrical inspector came to check some work I was doing a couple of years ago, um, I'll give you the full replay of the inspection. He walks down in the basement, grabs his flashlight, whips it around the room. Oh, you read the manual, signed off, head upstairs, done. Really? Well, kudos to you. That's uh, that's impressive. I think sometimes people would see what I do and they'd go, wow, that's some bubblegum duct tape shit right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why I'm not building submarines or spaceships. <laughs> yeah, and that the whole thing is, is terrible. You know, thoughts and prayers and everything to the families that lost people. Like, you know, For sure. For, for no means making light of any of that. But, um, you know, these are always interesting opportunities to talk about, um, you know, there's there's some real risks and hazards in, in the automation industry and the stuff that, 
um, we tend to do in our day jobs. And that's, you got to take it seriously because you don't want stuff like this to happen. For sure. And, and, and I remember back at my time at Westinghouse, right? So we built the refueling cranes for reactors. And I remember a couple of things that struck me as odd right up until somebody explained why, right? So all of our materials that came in from the back door, anything that was going into a power plant had all the material certs from where it was born, when it was made, paint, paint had certificates of authenticity, right? Like all this stuff was checked out and validated and verified. And I thought, huh. And they go, well, that way, if there's a recall on some of these parts or something goes wrong, we know where those things are and what's going like, I went, oh, okay, that, that all starts to make sense. And another thing that always caught me off guard was these were big three-axis cranes, right? All of our motors, servo motors, had through shafts, so a, a shaft coming out the back end of the motor, which limits the motors you can pick, right? Because there's not, not every vendor makes motors with shaft out the back. Like, that's pretty uncommon. And I remember going, well, why the hell is that there? And if we got rid of that, think of all the options we would have. And people go, yeah, but if we lose power, we need to be able to move it. So right next to the output shaft of that motor on the backside was a hand crank with a prox. So if you remove the, the hand crank from the prox, the motor died. It cut the electronics to it. And then you could hand crank this motor but then I thought, well, I, I guess like in the instance of like a Fukushima or something, when shit gets real sideways and you have to do it, like, what else do you do? Yeah. And that's the, I mean, one of the things that stuck out in that industry, because I was, I was in an adjacent company doing different things is that like, like even the valves are like x-rayed, welds are x-rayed, like Oh yeah. The the level of detail, uh, not to mention like just the components, like there's a very short list of approved components. I mean, like your motor that yep. can go anywhere. I mean, from light switches to relays to lights, like they are, it's a short list. Right. So, yeah. And it's, you know, you start thinking about in, in a, <laughs> It, it's a double edge for me because I often look at things like UL and TUV and I think about all of the speed that those things gobble up, right? Like when I think about time to market, that's that's one of the things that I, I struggle with a lot is, man, we need to get something to market. We need to do it fast. And then you hit those regulatory bodies and you're like, ooh, we're not going anywhere for six to 12 months. <sighs> but here's an example of where that starts to make sense and why it's a thing, right? Like you have to do these things. Um, and I, I know in our day to day, right? We, I, I was at automate um, and we talked about that on the show recently, but one of the things I saw there was a Arduino in a little plastic housing that would snap on din rail and let you control automation processes and then i started to think okay well if it's something simple and it's something that can't do a ton of damage maybe that's okay but i don't think you're going to put that on a on a refueling crane you're not going to put it in a refinery right like i can't imagine that software is validated at all no i mean it's not validated, not, uh, it's not going to have any sort of certification or testing. I mean, very, very unlikely. Maybe there's a, somebody using an off the shelf Arduino component and self funding all the extra testing and stuff, but yeah, it's not, not insignificant to do that. I think the package might've had either a CE or UL stamp on it, which at that point I assume basically means it won't start itself on fire. Right. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about with, with some of these electronic components is, hey, if you run the, the voltage to it correctly, it won't start itself on fire. It's about what that's going to equate to. Um, we deal every day in, you know, red modules and things that are 
safety rated and we start talking about sill ratings or, uh, you know, classification, I think about, you know, intrinsic safe, right? Like when I worked at Wago, we had blue modules, which meant you could put the, put the device right into zone zero, right into vapor and, and not have to worry about blowing something up. Um, could you do that with a normal 24 volt circuit? Maybe, but I don't want to be the city that finds out, right? Like, it's uh, there, there's a there's a process, I guess, is what what it boils back down to. This is not going to be a fun, uplifting conversation for those of you at home following along. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I, I watched a <laughs> I watched a documentary on the other day was this Texas City refinery the BP unit that went kaboom and you start reading about, Hey, you know, the, the, the meter on the outside of the the column didn't have enough to tell you how far it was operators and maintenance people and plant staff deliberately ignored the, the normal high level alarm because it, it interrupted the process and, and made things messy. Um, and then of course they, they had a, a couple of catastrophic things that went wrong. And of course it wound up destroying the entire facility and killing 15 people, which is super tragic, right? Like, again, no one wants to show up to work and have their workplace and friends blown up. Um, but, you know, how many times have we looked back and gone, hmm, yeah, every time that alarm pops up, just hit ignore. It's fine, right? Like, it almost makes me wonder, and, and I've seen this in medical device and, and other things where I was at a customer one time, this is 15 years ago probably, and uh, their their machine wasn't reconnecting to the I.O. block, right? And I opened up the code and I'm looking at it, I'm like, you are missing two lines of code that will solve all of your problems. And the look of despair on this guy's face was outrageous. He's like, whoa can we just put in cat six cable instead of cat five? Will that fix the problem? It was a communication fault that was dropping. And I'm like, no, dude, you have to add these two lines of code. He's like, what if we do like a wishbone diagram? And like, we talk about the root cause and all of the things. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how much paperwork you want to do. We have to do this. And he's like, but if we do that, then we have to revalidate the machine. And that was his biggest driver, was that revalidation. And I think about the machinery you and I see on a regular basis. How many times is that the causal for somebody, I don't want to say doing something stupid, but doing something stupid, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you've watched the uh, Chemical Safety Board videos. No. Okay, so there's a government agency... Uh, in the U.S. here called the Chemical Safety Board. And so they actually, anytime there's a major incident like Texas City or something like that, they actually go and and find, do some of the root cause failure analysis and um, make suggestions to the industry based on their findings. And so one one of the things that comes out of this is they have killer uh, videos with animations and stuff that like recreate it. And they're like world class, like the the best, some of the best I've seen. Sure, sure. So, uh, but they like educate how the process works and how it didn't work. And I mean, they're if you want a YouTube bunny trail, like that's well worth the time. Sure. <laughs> One of the uh, more educational ones you can stumble into. Yeah, and uh, any any of these like big events that have made the news, like if it, it occurred in the U.S it's more than likely uh, there's, there's a safety video that goes along with it now. Crazy, crazy. And, you know, I think back to, you know, tests and acceptance tests, right? And we used to do these and, and the tests got bigger based on, you know, bugs that were found on prior machines, right? So you were constantly kind of iterating and, and updating what you were testing and, and tinkering with. Um, you know, I think that's where a lot of these things come back to or, or originate from. I also think 
just because something didn't have that piece of paper with it doesn't mean it's garbage. It just doesn't mean it's certified or qualified or ratified or verified to do what you're trying to do with it, right? Yep. Um. So. Well, and that's, that's where, um, I mean, back to some of the beginning of that, like, that's where a lot of these like standards and things originate from is a thing happened and the industry said, okay, let's take a step back. And what, how do we stop this or at least put our best effort towards having this not happen again? Right. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, machinery, international machinery standards that do that same for, you know, process safety, that sort of stuff. Um, a lot of these lessons are, they're, they're truly that they're lessons that were, that were learned on unfortunately the lives of other people in a lot of cases. And so that's, you know, we put that into being better engineers, doing things better. Um, and I think that was, that's some of the tough part with the, the Titanic. Um, well, actually in both of those cases, but in the, in the case of the most recent, uh, incident, you know, there were the industry, you know, recognized industry professionals, marine professionals saying, Hey, I don't know. I don't know if you should do this. Uh, it's, this has not been tested. This is, you know, and many were very vocal about doing that. So I think that's, that just adds to the tragedy that it, a lot of it was preventable, which is, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of times the case. But. Well, and I think about, you know, self-driving cars, right? So we're still kind of writing the specifications on those as we're working through it, right? And there are certain areas where we've, you know, now allowed those self-driving cars to, you know, kind of operate with or without people, you know, kind of behind the wheel. Um, I think there's going to be lessons that we're going to learn on those too, right? Um, and it, and, and none of them are going to be fun lessons. Um, hopefully it, it doesn't, you know, impact people, people's livelihood or, or lives too much, but I guarantee some of those are going to have to wind up in the ditch or wrapped around trees before we've got all the answers. And, you know, I think things like AI and, you know, image recognition and some of that decision-making, we can test all, you know, I shouldn't say all, we can test a lot of those things in advance, but we're not going to test it all. Like some of that's still going to be learned the hard way. Um, it's yeah. 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 And there's in a uh, circling back again, like, so the, the original Titanic issue, like, have you ever looked into that at all? No, um, no. Go so ahead. It, and I, I mean, super terrible paraphrase. Somebody out there is throwing something at their podcast device of choice. Um, but essentially when they pulled in the port, uh, there was a coal bunker fire that was in the, like in the belly of the Titanic. Okay. And so at, at that point they were like, they had a ship full of people, you know, the, everything burned coal. So they were like, Hey, we're just, we're going to shovel a bunch of stuff in there. Uh, hopefully we'll shovel enough coal that's on fire into the boilers. Um, so that it won't be a problem. So, so one of the theories is that like some of the extra heat from that weakened some of the metal. Um, but the also theory is that because some of, because they were dealing with that, a bunch of these like bulkhead compartments were open when they should have been closed. Um, and that's, that's the interesting piece is that this, the ship was designed to sustain the, the, what they impacted if it followed the design as you know if it was followed what was intended by the design of the ship but so, since they were operating outside of that and or there were these other factors that potentially weakened metal or whatever you know it didn't live up to what it was designed to do because that's the way like big submarines work now right that's why they've got the heavy doors is in the event that there's a leak you can seal off that compartment, right? And hopefully limp to the surface or back to shore, correct? Correct. So you're saying those sorts of things were in there, but potentially those doors weren't shut. Correct. Man, that's tragic. 
It's kind of like not reading that meter when it says, hey, you have a high-level alarm. <laughs> For sure. Um, but, but but that's just it, right? And, and and again, like I've had near misses with robots because I overrode stuff, right? Or I I was in places I should never have been. Um, and and that's so maybe that's the biggest takeaway for any of this is accidents happen when you stop following the procedure that was prescribed by the individual who created said device. Yep. Oftentimes, right? That's when things get sideways. Um, yeah, so talking about safety, and we were just talking about phones earlier, a little lighter note, right? So inside this little pouch, I'm holding up my uh, my canvas bag here. I've got my Garmin uh, Montana series. So I don't carry a second cell phone, but I do when I'm out away from where cell phones work carry this so it's not a phone but it lets me send people my coordinates and then it updates it in real time at whatever frequency you want or i can text message them and if things get real hairy there's this little button on the side where i can pull open this door hit the button and it like sends a message via satellite to the authorities to like ready the choppers or whatever safety recovery mechanism they've got so um that's pretty cool this spawned out of a uh i was up on the superior hiking trail i fell stood up and my finger was not where it was supposed to be it was like bent drove to the hospital 90 minutes away and they reset it it happened to be just dislocated but my daughter when i got home goes well, what if you'd have broken your leg i said well they'd have found me in the spring <laughs> she didn't like that joke but safety, right? And we were at, uh, I went to shooting school in March, and another thing that they threw out there was like, hey, you know, those airsoft and paintball guys have their little smoke bombs. They're like, just throw a couple of those in your pack. Just in case you do get stuck and you see somebody flying overhead and you can just pop the smoke and should get somebody's attention from the air, right? And I went, that's kind of a neat idea. Interesting. Um that's a long ways away from a submarine or a spaceship, but safety, man, safety. Yeah, there, are lots of lots of directions to go off of that one. But didn't the uh, didn't doesn't the iPhone fourteen have the like satellite call home functionality? So that's I I believe you are correct. I think there was something with the newest chip that they were able to negotiate a way to do that. I don't know how well it works. I don't know what it costs. Um, I I haven't tested it, right? I know, like with this gizmo, and, and part of it was the battery on your phone is good once you're off grid for what, I don't know, 12 hours-ish maybe. Uh, this thing will go for a full day without blinking, plus it's got all the topo maps and everything else. Um, cool. It's another subscription, which sucks, but um, I know you can do it. I've got a probably more subscription than I need, but I think you're right. I think the new iPhones do do that. I just, I've not tested it and I don't know what they're capable of. Um, so it sounds like we need a couple of iPhone 14s to test that. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what I'm running. Man. Let me, what are you running for an iPhone right now? Oh, I'm, I'm old school. I got the XS max. Ooh, I have a 13 here in my dirty little hand. Um, I think Sarah might have a 14 because she's actually running dual sims in there. So she's got the onboard sim and then the, the card plugged in. So she's running two different uh, two different network providers too, which is a pretty neat concept and idea to get around some of the coverage woes that you run into. But, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what else is new in your world, man? It's been a little bit. Oh, there's, there's always something. Um are we are we officially transitioning from safety talk? Or? Yeah, we can. Yeah, whatever. Tw- Twenty four minutes of doom and gloom seems like enough for now. Yeah, I. So there's plenty. I I feel like we got to cap the the last stuff. So yeah, if if there are rules, follow them. If you're doing something new, find somebody that's done something like it and learn from it. If it has something that has risk that 
involves more than just you, you should probably do more homework. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah. not if it fails, it's when it fails. And that's how you can prevent some of these things. So I think, that, sure. I think that recaps any of the potential bunny trails we could go down from there. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. And we, and we won't go down this one page list of uh, safety specifications from NASA, just the spec numbers uh, for what it requires to send something to space. Cause that's overwhelming. Um, well, cause but, they, cause there are specs there for everything like material yeah. Oh, yeah. radiation hardening. I mean, blah, blah, blah. Like there's, they're lengthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's there for a reason. Right. Um, and it's also part of why, like I think about like amateur gunsmithing, right. And, I, I like to shoot. I think you like to shoot, right? And we've talked about it a little bit. But when people are like, ooh, you should modify this, I'm like, nuh uh. <laughs> and they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, things can go kaboom. And you know what happens when they go kaboom? It hits me in the face. Yeah. No I'm thanks. not doing it. Yeah. So, uh, so one new thing, um, which has some automation to it. So, I got a uh, smoker yeah. in the last couple of weeks. So got a Rectech. And pretty pretty funny, my neighbor who I found out has a chemical engineering degree. Um, I, I walk out and he's like, oh, what are you doing? I've got a smoker. He's like, oh, well, did you put a PLC on it yet? <laughs> I'm like, no. But I may have tried to look up how to change the tuning on it already. Um, and so it was just like the, one of the most automation centric comments that somebody's made to me like, Oh, you, you're going to put a PLC on that. Right. So it's funny you mentioned that. So I also have an affinity for barbecue and I will send you. So for, for father's day, I did six racks of ribs on my Weber stand up bullet. Right. So all charcoal, uh, insert your inner, uh, <laughs> kind of a growly laugh, but I'm on the, you heard my keyboard clicking, I'm on the RecTech website right now. Um, I'm guessing there's not a lot of setup here. Like you set the, I'm assuming you set the thermostat, you fill a little hopper full of your pellets, and Shazamski, you've got a smoker crock pot thing, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely quote unquote easy smoking. So you you literally set your temperature. It has a built-in probe. For temperature control yeah um they're they're one of their claims is they use like a pharmaceutical grade pid controller for setting the temperature and stuff okay um i mean i won't poke at that but well but did it work PID. did it do what it was supposed yeah, to no, do it, it uh it it does what it, you set at temperature and it does pretty good at, at holding it um my so my critique as a controls guy is I don't I don't like the tuning because like if you open the if you open it to yeah. make an adjustment it like way overshoots because it sees the temperature oh, dropping it sees the instantaneous drop you'd like to dead band that out a little bit or something yeah, so it's it like oh let pause. me throw in a bunch of pellets yeah. and then you close the lid and that thing goes boop yeah straight up. so. That Don't was... look in there. Stop doing that. Well, I, but I, I'm a new, I'm a newbie barbecue guy. So yeah. you, you know, yeah. had to check if the refrigerator refrigerator light actually turns off. Or... <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it's funny you mentioned that because when I bought my Weber, so this is probably 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago. My initial thought was, so it's the it's a stand up unit. It's got two grates and then a water pan, and then the coals in the bottom with three vents. And these dudes made, and I forget if it was based on a Netduino or whatever, but you could basically get like a little computer fan that would replace one of those air inlets, and it would do charcoal based on airflow, right? So temperature's dropping, pumping more oxygen, bring the heat up, bada-bang, you're there. I never got that far. And the reason was once I got the coals stabilized, they just did what they were supposed to do. Um, I always thought it would be rad. And, and 
full disclosure, because I'm a tech nerd, I've got the Weber Wi-Fi thermostat thing. So it's sending like real-time temperature values back to me. I just have to go out to close the loop on my own. God yeah, forbid. I mean, and that, you know, same thing. So they, so that has an app. Yeah. You can put, you have, you know, the, the temperature of the smoker. You also have like multiple probes you can put in. Meat probes. Oh, yep. Yeah. All, to, all of that gets sent to the app, you know, so you're literally sitting there like, oh, your grill is preheated. Yeah. Well, let me dial it in. So it's, it's definitely like, it's not like a, what do they call it? A stick burner where it's like an offset smoker and you're, you know, right. having a futz with it the whole time. It's, it's a great starter smoker. Oh, but, and I, look, I mean, whether it's one of these, I've seen the guys with the Traegers, right? Like, I think if you don't want to be covered in soot and dinking around with it and shoveling coal and crap out, like... These are awesome. You're going to get all of the benefits you want out of burning coal or wood without having to do any of the shenanigans. Um, how long How long do you think you can burn it off of one pellet load? Do you have to go out there and periodically pour more in? or no, It'll hold like 30 pounds of pellets, mm-hmm. and it, depending on temperatures and stuff, you sure. burn about a pound an hour. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're good. Yeah, so you could... I mean, unless you were like trying to do a really high temperature, um, or it was like really cold out, which we'll yeah. deal with in the winter. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, it it seems pretty good to go. So so yeah, I mean, it's that's kind of the nice part about you set it, forget it, throw some meat on it. Shit, yeah. So for winter time, my big recommendation is get a water heater blanket, mm. and then you can just. I'm assuming you want to. Ch- you want to check your safety ratings on that, but I'm assuming they are flame retardant and then just drape that over there. That's I've done that on mine where I just wrap it around and it kind of keeps it a little more insulated. Cause yeah, that tin on a uh, new year's day morning when it's minus 30 here is uh, it's a little bit to overcome without that help. That's cool though. Um, so what'd you make? What was your first cook? Uh, first cook was bacon. Okay. Uh, so that, that turned out pretty good. Then did, did a bunch of chicken wings. Yeah. Did some tri-tip this weekend. So for, for anybody that doesn't know, tri-tip is like the California brisket. Yeah. Um, Super, super popular on the West coast. Not so much, um, outside of there, but tangentially like i also had never really heard of brisket when i was in california so really? that's where i you know grew up so yeah. anyway it was just kind of random random barbecue facts. what i see in the future when you do show up is we're gonna have to dual barbecue and then we'll feed the crew there we go god forbid god forbid these are these are things i can get behind so I have an appetizer that you need to make the next time you fire this thing up. So my buddy Keith down in Arkansas pitched this one to me. So shout out to Keith Van Gilder. Uh, they called it a fatty. And initially when I heard this, all I could think was like, it is not April 20th, but rock and roll, man. So go get a one pound tube of like spicy Jimmy Dean sausage. Mm-hmm. Get a one-pound package of maple bacon. Wrap the bacon around the tube of sausage. Toothpick so you know it doesn't fall out. Smoke it for about four, four and a half hours at 225-ish. A lot of that schmutz kind of renders itself out, drips out. You will have nothing left on that plate. Slice it about (laughs) half inch, three-quarter inch thick. It's amazing. Well, I know what I'll be doing tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Cup it's going to be a late dinner, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> right, right. No, that's cool. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the the tuning thing is wonky. And one of the things, like, when I was looking at it, and, I, again, I forget the kit, but the complaint from the kids were, 
kind of what you were saying, like it overshot the, so the, the P of the PID overshot on the initial heat up. And then it, it, once it, once it got to where it was, it was fine. But that initial ramp. So people would say, Oh, well, once it got to like 200, I unplugged it and plugged it back in to reset it. (laughs) And I'm like, well, that's dumb. There should just be a set point in there that like 20 degrees short of it, you switch gains or something to that effect. Right? Like, come on now, kids. Yeah, and this is this is one of the uh, fair warning. Going to go down a nerd bunny trail. For That's a why we're this here, is, my friend. This is part of the like things with the PID because you you there's various tuning methodologies and blah blah blah. I won't get into that, but essentially, you it's hard to tune for doing a smooth set point adjustment and also having aggressive disturbance rejection. So like in that case, like, so what you just said, so if I want the grill to just like ramp up slowly to set point without overshooting, like yep. that's, that's a very defined motion of, you know, set points. Yep. But if I want it to like, when I open the lid, immediately start pounding in pellets. So I don't ever lose that temperature. Um, that, that has that effect of what you're seeing. So, like that's what it's doing. It's trying to keep that temperature up, but now you just have you're going too far in the wrong direction. So it's it's actually an art. It's kind of tricky of a thing that yeah there are ways to solve it, but you have to you err towards one side or the other. You're either going to be really good at disturbance rejection and overshoot on every set point change, or you come right into set point, but you'll be a little slower to and and there like there's all sorts of nuance and different ways to deal with that and blah 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 that's just the well and i remember working on temperature controls for uh circuit testing right so it was a plunge test on a on an integrated circuit so they'd pull this circuit put it on a you know pin test and then they heat it up or get it really cold um and i remember them not liking the default pid that was in codesis and i'm sure that as you alluded to, there's a, a bunch of different ways to skin this cat. So these guys wrote their own PID thing and, and locked it down, right? But I'm guessing if we go to Google, there's probably, what, 25, 30 different ways to solve this sort of a problem with multiple set points. And I think I've heard about, like, like a, a dual band kind of, like, it sounded like it was a deep rabbit hole. I'm just a bang-bang kind of robot guy, so it's never been part of my purview um outside of these fringe projects but i guess you know kind of shed any more light on that that i'd be i'd be curious well the thing that the thing that you get from robots i mean that's that's the joke i've probably made before is that robots and process have quite a bit in common except robots are doing all these calculations like literally a hundred times faster than (laughs) a typical process loop sure sure so like you can you know if you're running if you're running a robot at milliseconds instead of seconds yeah you can make a lot of adjustments within that time that i'm like oh hey one second does my temperature meet my set point no jack up my output (laughs) come back again in a second or five or ten and and like the the pellets are actually a great you know so pid tuning there's kind of you have two types of loops you either have integrating loops which typically temperatures are in or you have self-regulating loops. So self-regulating loops are pretty simple, like flows. You know, if you open a valve 50%, it's going to reach that point, and it's not going to flow any more than that. Sure. Um, if I open a, a steam valve on a temperature loop, it's going to keep getting hotter until it can't. <laughs> like it, it, Or a, a simpler is like a level is another integrating loop. So... If I open the valve to fill the tank, the tank will keep filling until it overfills, right? Like there's, sure. it's not like you just crack open the valve and it reaches an equilibrium. It does if you have something pulling out of it, but if you just have a closed tank and you open the valve, it's just going to keep adding to it. Got it. Um, Got it. So that's what makes integrating loops can be a little tricky to tune just because you have, you know, back to the pellet grill example, like, so I knew I wasn't at set point, so I started pumping in pellets. Well, I can't do anything with the pellets that are in the grill now. I just, I have to, I have, <laughs> they are what they are. 
So I have to let that play out. My temperature is going to swing high. Um, or I have to, like you were suggesting, detune it or make be aware of the fact that I have the door open and like, okay, well, I'm going to wait till I close the door and then start adjusting back to set point. Oh, is, sure, sure. Now that can, that can hose you because if you keep it too open too long and you don't start correcting for it, you're going to, you know, probably fall low. So it's, it's a game. There, there's all sorts of ways to play it. Well, and the other thing that's interesting too, and this is kind of, you know, whether it's back to the safety thing or whether it's to the, the, the charcoal thing, like there's some of these things where the physical world is slower to react than your, your system. Right. So in robots, right. We, we actually do that in microseconds typically or faster. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I, I know. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, but you're right. I mean, you're chasing the model, right? So you send the rabbit and you chase the rabbit until you either overshoot or whatever. You never really catch the rabbit. Um, but I think about like the, the charcoal, uh, nothing happens fast. So that's, I guess, kind of the other funky part and how you tune some of this stuff is like in today, if, if I'm not at temp and I want to go add more temp, I open those vents. If it doesn't happen fast enough, I can open the door and I can blow in there. But now I've started something in motion that I can't claw back right fast. Yep. I mean, sure, I can cut the valves off and, and wait for that oxygen to deplete. But I've started a temperature kind of whiplash that I don't I mean, I don't want to say it runs away, but like you're not stopping that in seconds. It, it might take you minutes, right, before you kind of regulate oh, yeah. back down, which the, is okay, the, right? God forbid your barbecue is a little warmer, but. Yeah, in, in process, like, so the worst one I ever saw, um, we were doing, uh, we were adding chlorine to a 96-inch line on the inlet of a, a water treatment plant. 96-inch line? 96, You yes. could drive a minivan through that. You could. So what? So that's coming from where to where? Because I don't know anything about this. So this this is kind of a unique plant. They would take the treated secondary effluent from like your typical water wastewater outlet. Okay. You know you you have all the stuff that goes through the bugs eat the bad stuff. Yep. Other stuff comes out. You know, clarify it. All the stuff. Yep. So out one of the things that can come out of that is secondary effluent. so that was the product that would come into this plant that I was working at. So mm. it would take literally everything that it could and shove it into this process that would take that secondary effluent and turn it into drinking water. Okay. Um, so this was this was at the front end of the plant. And one of the first things that you do, you screen it again, and then you start adding some chlorine to keep the biological stuff that's left down and whatever. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, so we were adding chlorine to get to a certain level. And you it, like the, that pipe is so big that if I made a step change on the output of the dosage of the chlorine that I was adding, mm-hmm. I would not see a change for an hour. So I had an hour dead time between when I made a change to when I would actually see the output. That's crazy. So, yeah. So, <laughs> microseconds to an, an hour. <laughs> but I wonder, too, like, and, and I'd have to go back through the history books, but isn't that part of some of the challenges they had at Chernobyl where they were making changes and things weren't reacting the way they expected or they were way too far gone? Or Yeah, I, for, I forget all the details on yeah. that, but there's a, a you know, Apparently I should, I like going back to where we came from. Um, that's probably the whole thing, but that's, that's a lot of the, a lot of the problem with these industrial disasters um, is that like somebody was ignoring an alarm or something was in a weird state. So um, yeah, like I, I know like three mile Island, like that was one of the things that happened is they were just getting weird stuff coming into the control system. And they were like, Oh, well this is, you know, this couldn't possibly be what this means. And everybody kept continuing on. Right. Or like the, 
I mean, I've been in plenty of plants where like, what is that thing? And they're like, oh yeah, that's that's been an alarm since they started the plant. Um, and so again, there's there's standards, you know, like there's ISA, I think it's 18.2 that addresses like alarm management and sure. the loading of operators and how many alarms can you get? And um, again, we've, we've tried to take all these things that have gone wrong and apply them to a standard. So that way people in the future don't have to make the same mistakes that others had to live through or not live through. Well, and it's funny, there's a, there's a quote that, uh, I was handed as a youth and as a youth, I mean, at age 17, I was working with some guys on robots, right? I got my internship and smart guy that had been there for a while, handed me this piece of paper. And, and one of the quotes on it was, uh, even you will see things that you don't believe. Interesting. And, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about, right? It's like, well, surely there's no way these three things ever happened. And look, I, I've said that before, too, as we look at machines. I'm like, are you sure that that's what you got going on? Um, most of the time I was right, and I'm sure that's been the case. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. But, I mean, there's been times where I've looked at it and gone, hmm, I'll be damned. I guess I am not right today. Like, well, and, there, and it's you're only as good as the data that you're getting in. And even then sure. some of that data can be corrupted by what's happening. So like I was doing a startup one time at a chemical plant and uh, we're like running through these different loops. I had a temperature loop. I opened the steam valve and it looked like this thing was just going to start running away. Like I closed the valve. It was kept climbing in temperature. Mm. And I, I was concerned, really concerned. To yeah. the point that everybody else was also really concerned. <laughs> and um, turns out that like after some investigating, uh, there was an isolation valve closed, but my temperature sensor was on the, the upstream side of the valve. So it, it was seeing all of this stuff, but the bad stuff I thought was happening wasn't real because I had a temperature probe and a pipe, but that pipe wasn't open to the rest of the thing. So, so was it installed in the right place and it was just somebody closed a valve or was something built? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it are arguable. I, sure. I think it was designed correctly, but um, I didn't have visibility on the valve that was closed because okay. uh, it was just supposed to be a hand valve. You would only really close it if you were doing maintenance stuff. But um, I mean, it's stuff like that. Like everything on my screen showed that we, this was real and we needed to start <laughs> taking evasive maneuvers and sure, uh, sure. it turned out to not be thankfully. <sighs> I've never been that nervous before. I'll say that I've been through airlocks where I've puckered up a little bit, but I've never had that sort of a thing where I'm watching something unfold going, Oh shit. Yeah. There, there was another, another time, a uh, very similar thing, different, different process, different plant. And uh, watching this whole giant plant run, and all of a sudden we lost communication with the back half of the plant. And like, this is bad, because the plant was running like at full tilt, and all of a sudden, half the plant goes dark. And um, <laughs> however, the half that we could see was showing that like, oh, don't worry about it, the plant still has full flow, you're fine. Uh, so I, uh, it was a big enough plant that I actually like grabbed a bike and like biked my way all the way across the site because it was, it, it might've been almost, a, it was a good half mile. It might've been. Sure. Sure. So I get to the back end of the plant and there's just this like, like shattered glass, just like all these sounds that you should never hear in an industrial setting unless you're at a glass plant. And even then you shouldn't. You don't <laughs> want to hear those sounds. You don't hear those, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the, in short, uh, there were a bunch of trains. There were They call them trains. Uh, there were essentially 11 flow paths. Um, and all, all but one of them, the, the, the safety function was, hey, if you lose power, shut the valve so it protects these things. Yeah. Well, one of the 11 had been chained open because they were doing some testing. So the whole plant's flow went through this one that was supposed to have the, like, 
that flow was supposed to be split Spread through 11 out. of them. Yeah. And it all went through one. And so everything that was between where that flow went in and went out got, you know, handled by all of the extra flow. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, so they just close it off and life was good or open the other ones up or. Yeah, there was, uh, it was, it was crazy. I mean, just stuff like I've, I've met it, the metal. It was like all this huge stainless steel metal that it just looked like it had been crumpled. Like it was just in the glass. There were a bunch of quartz sleeves and stuff. It was just, it was just crazy. So, so I have, uh, we're coming up. Actually, this flew by faster than I expected. We're coming up on the end of it. Before I ask you what you want to close off with, I've got a pet peeve that I've been dealing a lot with lately, and it's this term of, uh, well, you know, sometimes you got to fly the airplane while you're building it. And uh, I just want you to know there are safety standards in place that prevent that sort of a thing from happening. <laughs> No one's building airplanes while they're in the air. Stop saying it. Stop it. Stop it. With that, Tyler, anything else to uh, send us <laughs> off with? Wow, you just wrapped that and put it on, <laughs> put it in front of me. Um, no, I, I'm, uh, I'm with you. There's. Well, I'll just, I agree with you. You can't fly or build an airplane like that. Um, airplanes also, airlines have a whole nother set, just like NASA, of standards and redundant systems and safety and uh, a lot of things that you have to make a deliberate, intentional plan before you start putting people in processes uh, in the air, I guess is how I'll end that. So Absolutely. And uh, with that, I'm going to hit these last two buttons. I'm going to shove off. Thanks for the uh, the time today. Appreciate it as always. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed your time with us, please like and subscribe. Keep the letters coming to automationadvocates at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. The opinions in this show are ours and not representative of our employers. While normally polished, occasionally we might slide off the rails and into the ditch. Forgive us for that one.